The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. We're going to start a new series for the next few weeks today. Um, I hope it will help you in your relationships as you're trying to seek out um, to obey the the Lord, and as we've been learning the last few weeks, to be a dangerous person for the kingdom. We live in this, um, we live in a in these physical bodies, if you will, as spiritual beings in a physical world. So we're we have to understand that there are spiritual forces at work all around us, and a lot of times I think it's easy to lose sight of that because we're walking by physical sight um, instead of walking by faith. The word says to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, why does the word say to do that? Because there's a lot of influential things happening in and around us um, that cannot be seen with the physical eyes. And if we're not careful, we'll start to think we're struggling with people when in fact it's actually a struggle against forces that are influencing people. In Ephesians chapter 6, Probably, probably the most uh, famous passage about spiritual warfare, the Apostle Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So there are constantly like forces of evil at work trying to influence all kinds of things around us. And daily, we are struggling against these forces that work against us. And they work to drive these wedges into our relationships and cause division. That's what's happening all the time. Um, It's been happening since the dawn of creation, and we'll look at that a little bit today. Uh, But we would, in this series, we're going to identify these things as um, spiritual wedges, not to be confused with spiritual wedgies. Right? Something, a wedge is something driven between two parts in order to, to separate. And the objective, again, is to help you recognize these wedges in your life. Like what, what's going on in a situation. And when you recognize something as a wedge, you'll, you'll re- react to it differently than you would if you're just sort of functional, functioning in uh, your physical eyesight. Not walking by faith. Now, Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, there's, there's some division that has gone on in the church. In Corinthians, the, the church at Corinth um, was, <laughs> it was kind of a problematic church. It had more problems than any other church uh, that the letters were written to. As a matter of fact, if you study First and Second Corinthians, there's, there's some cool stuff in there. But for the most part, Paul is just trying to cre- correct some behavior that has been extremely divisive and problematic in the church. And he's trying to, to deal with a lot of different things. And uh, there are some people who believe that in this, this uh, passage that he's referring to a person that in chapter 1, he tells them to put out of the church because... This guy was unrepentant, and he was involved in a, um, uh, an incestual relationship, and he wasn't repenting from it, and so he, he tells them how to deal with it. And then there are others who believe that, that, it, that it's more about there were some people who, in the Corinthian church who were pro-Paul and pro-his teaching, and there were some who were anti, 
uh, Paul and against what he was teaching. And he's, he's trying to deal with that. Pr- probably um, the latter is true. It doesn't really matter. Um, what matters is that it's about division in the church. That's, we know that for sure, we, that Paul is dealing with where somebody had um, sinned and walked in sin and been offensive, and he's trying to address that and show how you deal with it, and he's talking about forgiveness. So I take the time to set that up because you're going to see, we'll see how this idea of wedges being driven even into the body of Christ. And so we, when we come into the body of Christ, things don't all of a sudden... <laughs> You know, sometimes people would say, well, aren't you a Christian? You shouldn't act that way. Well, you, it's true, uh, but just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you don't stumble and, and fall and, and have problems. Like, uh, you're, not, uh, you're still in a physical body, and so we're going to talk about why some of that happens. We don't enter into this place of perfection. We receive perfect righteousness, but it's not ours. It's the righteousness of Christ. And so we're trying to walk that out and manifest that in a daily, ba- on a daily basis in our physical bodies. And so as we, as we deal with this, Paul is saying, in this certain situation and this divisive thing that has happened in the church that's trying to cause the separation of individuals, he starts talking about forgiveness and how to walk it out. And he says, anyone you forgive, anyone you guys forgive, he says, and he's writing them this letter, he says, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there is anything to forgive, I have forgiven you in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order, this is the key part, that Satan might not outwit us, we are not unaware of his schemes. And so these schemes, there are schemes that are laid out in this particular situation, that they're laid out inside the church to try to cause division. And these schemes, uh, I, I, is what I'm calling a wedge, a spiritual wedge, designed to separate us from ultimately God and each other. And so if, if, if a wedge is driven into a relationship and it causes division between two people, especially two people in the kingdom, it is going to impact our relationship with God. Um, and if, we're not, if they're not properly dealt with, Here's the crazy thing about a spiritual wedge. It just creates more wedges. Now, in 1979, I'm, I was nine years old. It was a cool time to be alive. As a matter of fact, the greatest time to come on the planet was the 70s. Amen? It was a really cool time. Lots of cool stuff. Uh, happening in the 70s, but one thing that happened to me is I we lived in kind of a suburb area, and uh, my folks never had a lot of money, you know. Um, they were blue-collar workers um, for the most part. My mom did later in life start teaching in school, but at the time I was growing up, uh, my dad, you ever heard of Rainbow Bread? Yeah. My dad started working at Rainbow Bakery when he was 17 years old, and he retired like when he was 63. Like, he spent his whole life there. So he uh, made a ton of bread. He was a mixer. And I tell people all the time, yeah, my dad made a ton of bread, but we never had any dough, right? <laughs> never. And so, uh, but anyway, he was good. My dad was good at, uh, at carpentry and stuff like that. And um, he, uh, 
he ended up flipping a, a house and had a rent house and got himself into a position where what he was able to uh, uh, buy a piece of property it was an older home that was built um, you know early in the last century and it was built it was a rock home I mean you walked in the front door and it, like it had this this great room that had these giant beams that were like telephone poles these pine beams that went through and this thing was had two of these things and they're big the ceiling kind of like this wasn't this tall obviously but other than that, like that was the coolest room in the house. And then everything else was just like, wow, right? It needed a lot of work, but it was their dream home. A lot of people thought they were crazy for, for buying it, but my dad had a vision and, and he bought it and they made tons of money on it when he sold it after retirement. So it was, it was a good move for them and it was a really cool house. But why am I telling you this? Well, when we moved in, it was me and my mom and dad and my three brothers. My younger brother wasn't alive yet. Um, he, he was a surprise baby. There are so 18 years between my youngest brother and my oldest brother. Oh, hey, hello. Uh, and so anyway, but uh, we, so we move into this house, man, and, and it doesn't have central heat and air. And every room had one of these little heaters in it that ran off of propane. And so there was a big one in the, and some of them were big, like they would be about, you know, that tall, that tall, looked like a nightstand, some of them. And some of them were little, like some of them in the bathroom would be a little smaller. You, you guys have ever seen these things? You know what I'm talking about? But they were everywhere in this house, and there was a giant propane tank. And so we moved in in October, and November kind of rolled around, and we hit our first cold spell, man, and, and we, it was toasty in that house. I mean, you had one of these things in your room. And that thing drained that propane tank. The next week, my dad took every one of them out of the house. I mean, he took them out. They were all out and gone. And so now we had a fireplace. He put in a, a wood-burning stove in the main room, and there was another stove in the back room, and that was it. And, and it would get cold, man. Matter of fact, my older brother that's not alive, when, when you're heat in that back room, we got a fire burning so hot that I went out and looked outside, and it was like blowing, like glowing out the top. <gasps> Looked like a, 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 an old steam engine or something. Anyway, that's a different story. So when, when that happened, he bought a chainsaw and started cutting wood, and we had wood everywhere. Like, and that's how we heated our home for, for a long time. Um, and so he was just leveraging having the boys in the house to heat that home and save on, on he wasn't going to pay for that propane. And so we had to split this wood, man. And, and you watch TV and you watch some movies, man, a guy goes up there, and the wood is just, that is not how it happens. Like, it does not happen like that. There's very rarely have I hit a piece of wood, especially if it's green, and it just goes, boom. And it won't, and different kinds of wood, different kinds of wood, it's even harder to split, man. And, and so he bought these wedges, and, and I would sometimes have to go split wood, man. That was just part of the deal. And you had to, man, what a miserable time my life was. I had to carry wood in. We had this giant wood box. Anyway, splitting this wood, you get them wedges, man. You drive them in, and you could take a big log and get it to start to separate. And, but you get in there too far, man, boom. And it wouldn't go, and then you have to get another wedge out. You put, drive it in, and sometimes it still wouldn't split. And you, you didn't use an axe. You had an axe out there, but we used this thing called, I think it was called a maul or something. But it, it was like an axe head on one end and a sledgehammer on the other. 
And so you could drive those things in and then you could use it to split. And sometimes, man, you, you would have to put that thing in and get a sledgehammer and try to, and then you just make a mess. You couldn't get them all out. You either think finally you'd get the thing separated or it'd just be filled with wedges and you'd hope that you could get them out before dad got home and he didn't have to get them out. Uh, and so that's kind of a picture of what happens in relationships. The enemy introduces a wedge. It starts getting driven down in a relationship. It starts bringing about some separation. Before you know it, there's another wedge driven in that thing. And before you know it, you got such a mess, you don't even know how to get out of it. And it just, it just feels awful if it hasn't been able to already separate in the first place. Now I'm getting a call, you guys. Sorry. Yeah, I'm not going to take it. Uh, so, so uh, anyway, so we, we, we look at this, and, and, and uh, the, we see the first wedge in the Bible is found in, in the creation story. And this is fascinating to me. And so in Genesis chapter 3, God creates these humans, puts them in this place of perfection, man. And here they are, and it says that now the, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, what we see here is there are three phases of a wedge, okay? And the first phase is confusion. The second is presumption. And the third is ambition. The, the uh, woman was, uh, Eve was confused about what God said. That's the first strategy of the enemy. And you get you confused about the actual word of God. That's why we have so much division in our world today. That's why America used to be so incredible and do all these things because there was unity. But now everybody's kind of confused about what God has said. And then there's presumption. Um, you presume the consequences aren't that bad. And finally, ambition. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do. And, and sometimes even we're living in an age now where this presumption is happening and say, well, God will forgive me. It doesn't really matter. And that is a very um, dangerous way to, to live. And so what happens? Well, the enemy kind of creeps in there. He's trying to bring this separation between the original created humans and the creator himself. And he drives this wedge in and gets them confused about the word of God. Gets them confused and presuming things aren't really going to be as bad as what God said they would be. And then gets them feeling somewhat ambitious that they can even be uh, like God themselves. So they eat. And um, when they eat from that which was forbidden, they realize that they're naked. <laughs> Never knew they were naked before. And all of a sudden, they're naked. Now, this is the first time. And so we see the first wedge is they reach and they go for fig leaves. The, the Bible says they find something growing and that God has created. So they take from the creation and they cover themselves. And for the first time in their existence, they are hiding from each other. And so Adam is hiding something from Eve. And Eve is hiding something from Adam that didn't used to exist before. So that's the first wedge. 
The second wedge comes in and is driven in the relationship when God would come to call on them and he would come and and it says in the cool of the day, he would come and hang out with them. And I don't know exactly what that was like, but that's what it said would happen. And he comes and he calls out to Adam, where are you? And Adam finally recognizes he's not going to be able to do it anymore. He says, I was hiding. <laughs> I was hiding because I was afraid because I'm naked. It's their second wedge. He hides. Now they, they move from hiding from each other. Now they're hiding from God, even the fact that they're hiding from each other. And God said, who told you you were naked? And then we see um, that the disobedience had come in. And, and so God asks, what have you done? What have you done? And we see the third wedge, blame. Well, it was her. Well, it was the cre- thing you created. God, it's your fault. You're the one that created that thing anyway. And so blame happens. And so we see that these wedges, these are the, the sort of the progression of, of a wedge is, is um, kind of getting confused. And then it just gets worse and worse. You start hiding from people. You won't be vulnerable, and then before you know it, you're hiding from God, and ultimately you're blaming everybody else for the miserable experiences that you're having in life. Same thing that's happening. (laughs) So thousands of years ago in the creation story, the Bible tells us this is what the problem is with humanity right now. This is the problem that you will see this problem at work. You will see it at home. You will see it in marriages. You'll see it between parents and kids. You'll see it neighbors from neighbor to neighbor. You'll see it uh, uh, from... Uh, the PTO in high school and lunchrooms, it's everywhere. And what is it? It is a wedge, a spiritual wedge that is driven into a relationship. Now, the, the, the difficult thing is, is that um, people who are, are, are in a relationship with Christ and they've come alive in Christ, we baptize these people. Why do we baptize them? Because they say that they have met the Lord. They have come alive in Christ. Well, they are trying to walk, hopefully, by faith, then, but they're living in a world where a lot of people don't walk by faith. They don't have faith. They don't know that this world exists. They don't function in that capacity, and that complicates things. And so the question is, how do we deal with these wedges effectively if they continue to rep- reproduce? How are we going to deal with this, and how are we going to live lives that are abundant that Christ talked about? How are we going to keep our relationships healthy? Well, we go to the most practical book in the Bible is the book of James, um, and he gives us some guidance. James is the half-brother of Jesus, and so he writes this um, letter. It's an epistle, or which is a fancy way of saying a letter, and he writes it, and he says to the church in chapter 3, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So here's the first takeaway. You have to get wise to the wedge. You have to get wise to the reality of a wedge itself. There are two two types of wisdom in the world. um, And it's easy to operate from this one. 
What we need to know is that this wisdom is earthly, natural, and demonic. When I'm functioning this way, I'm being influenced by a demonic influence, even though I'm a believer. Now, I can't be possessed. If you're a, if you're a believer in Christ, you can't be possessed by any kind of demon. But you can dang sure be influenced by evil. It happens. That's what Paul was correcting in 2 Corinthians. And so we have to understand that there are two types of wisdom in the world. And one wisdom is um, earthly. It is natural. It is demonic. It does not have its origination in heaven, and James clearly tells us this. And understanding this allows us to recognize a wedge for what it is. So when I recognize that I'm beginning to have conflict with a person, when I'm starting to have conflict with my spouse, when I'm starting to have conflict with my children or my children or children are having conflict with their parents or work or whatever, the first thing I need to do is get wise to what is happening here. This is a wedge. This is not just a personality conflict. This is a direct attack on my relationship with this individual that is trying to be destroyed, and it originates in the pits of hell. And ultimately, if it can get me into a place of bitterness and envy and, and um, where I'm, I, I, I just repudiate this individual, then now I'm carrying on something that doesn't look anything like Jesus, and it's impossible for me to bring glory to God. And that's how the enemy steals glory away from God. So every time that you see these things happening, even as insignificant as they may feel with people you don't know, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal when we lose our temper. It's a big deal when we are mean to other people. It's a big deal because it reveals that we are being influenced by a force that is not originating in heaven and ultimately it is seeking to destroy that relationship so that that individual can look at me even though I claim to be a follower of Jesus. My life doesn't look anything like Jesus. And why doesn't it look like Jesus? Because I'm being influenced by wisdom that is not from above. And that can happen to believers. And it, it becomes even more difficult for us when we're functioning with, uh, in society with people who do not know the Lord. And they are not aware of this. And they can just be flat out mean. And we're trying to function with that. And we're trying to help them to see even who the Lord is in all of his glory. And so the first key to um, having victory over this is just getting wise to the fact that wedges exist. Now, um, so, so again, anytime you have this kind of experience, you need to be thinking there's some evil behind this. Now, why is that important? Because it helps you to look beyond the person to what's going on in the background. And remember, we said, we started, I started the sermon in Ephesians, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's, that's not where we're struggling. We don't struggle with what is flesh and blood. Like, you guys are flesh and blood. And if we get into a struggle with one another, our struggle is not with each other. It is what lies beyond in our ability to respond to the influences that are trying to get us to bring glory to the Lord. Now, verse 17, James says, as he has talked about this demonic and earthly wisdom, he says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, 
and sincere. Here's the second takeaway. Work against the wedge, not with it. Our job as believers is to begin to work against the wedges that we have become wise to instead of working with them. It's very easy to start pounding that thing down. It's such an easy do, easy thing to do. That first wisdom that we talked about, I don't have to teach you how to do that. You know. As a matter of fact, you learned when you were a little bitty kid and the first time somebody took a toy that you wanted to play with, you understand how that wisdom works when you said, mine. It's mine. Why is it mine? Because I want it. See, there's the ambition. There's the selfishness. There's the envy. We don't have to learn how to do that. It, like our, we, we just sure to know, and I'm going to explain to you why here in a moment. Um, it, it, it is because our makeup in the Bible, it teaches that our makeup, we have these three words, the sarks, the noose, and the pneuma. And the sarks is our flesh. So like the sarks is what you're looking at right now, okay? The sarks is what you're hearing, what you're seeing. Um, the noose is my mind. It's my ability, my will to decide what I'm going to do. And so it's, it's basically my willpower and won't power. <laughs> uh, and, and then the pneuma is, is my spirit or soul. And so then we get the Holy Spirit as the holy pneuma of God. Um, and, and so when we, when we look at that, what we have going on is that the flesh... And the Holy Spirit, who has come to live inside of me and influence me, they're seeking to influence the noose, my will. And so constantly there's this battle going on. So anytime you hear somebody say, the devil made you do it. No, he didn't. The devil can't make you do anything. You want to blame it on the devil, just like the original human beings did. Your noose made you do it, and your flesh wanted to do it, and the devil just held it out there in front of you, and you looked at it long enough that you got ambitious enough that you seized a hold of it. So there's no, like, it is our will that makes us do it. We are all responsible for what we walk into when we're rebelling against the Lord. And so what is going on is the Holy Spirit is trying to influence us to surrender our will to him. And the enemy is catering and tempting us with our flesh. And we have to realize that we have to live above the flesh, what we can see and, and, and understand that we have been redeemed. And if you get this, it can change your life. So here's what happens. We, again, we go back to the illustration of these individuals we baptize. We're, one of the reasons we ask them, them questions, what's your good confession of faith? Because you see, when they baptize that person, their sins are not getting washed away. Okay? Like the, the baptism up here is full of water. It's, it doesn't have sin in it. It didn't come off of them. Right? It's, that's not the, what happens. Only, the only thing that can cleanse you of your sins is your belief and confession in the Lord Jesus Christ and calling upon him to save you. When you do that, you are, the, the scripture says you come to newness of life. So Jesus said, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And how are you born again? When you have faith. And that's why we're confirming as we're coming before the body and, and they're making their confession of faith. They're saying, I have confessed that I do believe in Jesus. I confess him as my Lord and Savior. I've received him into my life. I am a, I'm new in Christ. Okay? So um, when, when we think in terms of uh, what this means is that all 
all people, because we, we look at how this happens and how the enemy tempted um, Adam and Eve. Well, he did the same thing to Jesus. He comes to Jesus when Jesus starts his ministry, and he tempts him with the same thing. The only difference is that Jesus knew the word of God, and he wasn't confused about the word of God, and so he didn't let the enemy sway him. And he wasn't ambitious to live his own life and take a hold of something that, that God told him not to, because he was actually God in the flesh. And so what do we see? In the first Adam, we are all sons of the first Adam. What, what do we mean by that? Well, we are all come into this world. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. We are all separated from God. Those of us who have come to a place of uh, newness of life and have recognized Christ as God who comes to take away the sins of the world and we confess him as Lord and he raises us to newness of life. Okay, so here, here I am. I explained the, the, the sarks, the noose, and the pneuma. I am dead to God spiritually. I, there's, there's nothing any human being can do to please God when they are in that state. You are, the scripture says you are dead in your sins and trespasses. We are enemies of God. We are sons of Adam, okay? And so, so when, when we're in that state there's nothing we can do to please God but then we meet Christ and what does Christ do well we know when we look at the life of Christ he was dead and he he was buried and last week we celebrated Easter on the third day he rose from the dead he was resurrected and he appeared to the disciples so he said that whenever we um encounter him and we believe in him we call upon him we're born again we are resurrected to newness of life so the dead soul in me the dead spirit in me comes alive in christ i'm resurrected spiritually and that has already happened for me. If you, if you, th you know if it's happened for you. You can remember when you became a follower of Christ and you surrendered your life to Christ, you came alive in Christ. You were raised to newness in life just like Jesus was physically resurrected. You were spiritually resurrected. But your body was not. Just your soul. You came alive in Christ. Now the Spirit of God has moved in you, and you are alive in Jesus because your soul has been united with Christ, and you are no longer dead in your sins and trespasses because you are alive in Christ Jesus. So when you are resurrected spiritually, your flesh is still fallen. And because it's still fallen and you are living inside of that um, fallenness, the flesh is constantly um, trying to uh, get its own way. And when, when Jesus saved you, here's what I want you to see, is that your soul was raised above the curse. So now, what do I mean by that? Well, the curse was that you would die, right? That all men would die. They, they would be eternally separated from God. And that was the first sentence. And then, and then all of the pain and suffering that we experienced. Well, immediately my soul is raised above the curse. I, I, I'm redeemed spiritually. My body is not raised above the curse. Like, I'm going to die. You're going to die. And some of you are going to die before others. And we just keep getting closer and closer and closer. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. Uh, and, and we're so desperate to try to stop it. You can't stop it. The world is cursed. Your flesh is cursed. Your soul may not be cursed, but your flesh 
is cursed. And as long as you remain in that cursed state, you could never really experience all that God has for you. Even as Paul talks about later, he says, there's a seed must die and it is sown um, perishable, but it is raised imperishable. And so the bodies that we live in forever and ever with Christ, we too will be resurrected physically, but that is out in the future someday. Right now we're resurrected spiritually, so I'm alive in Christ, but my flesh is still fallen, and there's this struggle that is going on where I want to yield to God, but I don't have the ability sometimes to do it because the enemy, or I do have the ability, but I don't have the desire, and the enemy is trying to pull me away and use this temptation to influence me and pull me away from God, and he uses wedges in order to accomplish that, and if you get this, then you can change your life because you will begin to walk into a place of freedom, and you understand, wait a minute, I'm not trying to avoid this in my life. I'm not trying to avoid this, this conflict, or I'm not doing this thing that the Word calls me to do because that's what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. I'm doing it because I recognize my flesh is trying to get me to do something that is a wedge that is going to separate me from this individual. And if I work um, with it, then all that happens is I separate myself from that person and ultimately separate myself from God. And I'm losing freedom that the Lord wants me to have. That's what happened to the first couple. They just lost freedom in the beginning because they were denying what the Lord had taught them. And so this is why the Bible calls us to not be unequally yoked. Why would you not want to be unequally yoked? Because if you're unequally yoked and you believe this and you are alive in Christ and you marry a person that is dead in their sins and trespasses, when they see a wedge happening, they're just going to look at you and go, you are the problem. But you as a believer are going to look at it and go, I'm not the problem. There's a problem behind this problem that is manifesting itself. And we have to be aware of that and we can work in harmony together. And so like, uh, that's why I would I try to encourage my kids, man. Like, you need to be looking at other people's faith. Why? Is that what good Christians do? No, that's what smart people do. That's what wise people do. Because you walking in this world, man, it's hard to, to navigate through these things. And, and two people who have the same belief system still find difficulty in navigating through this because the flesh is, like, even the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And even though they were resurrected spiritually, our flesh, our physical flesh is still in a fallen state. And it will be until Christ returns and resurrects it from the dead. And so we have to work against the wedge and not with it and understand that the, the Holy Spirit is trying to influence us in these moments and we can't be reacting emotionally. We have to see what actually is happening in front of us and we work against the wedge. Now look at verse 18 and we'll get to the last takeaway here. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Here's the last takeaway. Face the wedge, don't replace the wedge, okay? I believe most people don't face the wedge, they replace it. Um, instead of working through things, they just cut the relationship off. There's too much work. <laughs> too much work to get that wedge out of here. So they leave the church, find new friends, end the marriage, and never experience the freedom that the Lord wants us to experience. Now, um, one of the things that's the most gratifying for me in, in my life 
is my relationship to, to my wonderful bride, Abby. And we have had some tough things we've walked through. And when we first got married, like, um, we... We, we, we've always been great at communicating, but we didn't recognize this in the beginning. It took us a while, and being in ministry, you start, to, you start to pick up on, sometimes we just get into arguments, we're like, why are we fighting so much? Are, are y'all like us? Do y'all fight with each other? Did y'all know I fight? You, uh, yeah, we can tell. We pray for Abby all the time, but... Uh, and, so, and so anyway, uh, so we, get, we get in these arguments, and then we, it took us a while to figure out, man, that generally when the Lord was about to do something, where I was about to, um, um, even a series like this, I'm about to preach a series like this, and when we can sense, man, that there's a spiritual attack going on. And, and, and over the years, man, it's kind of gotten to the point now I mean, we've been married for 26 years, and, and, and so you, get, you make it that far, you know a person pretty dang good, right? And so right now, man, we can be in the middle of a, just a, and go, no, this is an attack. And we can actually recognize it on the fly so much that we don't make it that personal, and we retreat, take, back off, and take a breath. But we've had to learn to do that. We've had to get experienced in that. And it's taken us a while to recognize this is not about you. And this is not about me. This is about a force beyond us trying to destroy the very relationship that God wants us to have. And when we can have that relationship, then the world will see the glory of Christ inside of our relationship, regardless of what we walk through, because they know that it is the power of the Lord working in the midst of that that is creating all the harmony. And it's a wonderful thing. And, and, and you can get there, but you can't get there without work. You're never going to get there if you just say, man, and I, I'm not going to face the wedges that are in my relationship. I'll just replace them. Uh, somebody in my church, in the church, hurt my feelings. I'll just find another church. Yeah, somebody at work, I don't like working with that person. I'll just find another job. We'll find another team for the kids to play on. We won't let them to go with that person anymore. We just replace, 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 replace. And the Lord is saying that we're to be facing this. And if we will face it, then what happens is instead of the separation and jumping around in all these other relationships, there's healing that takes place. And in the midst of that healing, there is a strong presence of the Lord. And that's what I believe is the harvest of righteousness um, in this context. He says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. How do you harvest righteousness? It'll create some more righteousness. There's only one way. It is walking in obedience to Christ and him getting glory in your life. Jesus is the only one that can give righteousness. And, and so we harvest that righteousness by Christ getting more control in our lives. And I would just submit to you, imagine a church where people face the wedge instead of replace the wedge. Imagine a church that had the ability where when you got your feelings hurt, and you will, you will. You stay in a church long enough, you stay in the wrong place, there's some time, at some point, somebody's going to hurt your feelings. Even sweet little me. It can have, like, it's, it's, I, why? Because I'm, I'm trying to live out a resurrected life in a fallen body. 
And until I get on the other side, it's going to be a struggle, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and forces of wickedness. And so what we're called to do, man, is just work through that stuff. And as we work through that stuff, I believe that that is the very thing that strengthens us. I'm reminded back to my illustration, some of the hardest wood to get to split was the wood with all the knots in it. Because it was so like tied together and you couldn't work around it. It's like they were holding what that's that's a that's a piece, that's a part of the tree that has worked through the, an injury and overcome it, and that's what's making it stay together. And so like we can we can look at those things, man, and, and see that when we go through and navigate through hard stuff, this is what the Lord said, man, that that God in Romans chapter eight he said. Even he will work all things out for the good of those who love God. Joseph said to his brothers who threw him a pit, in a pit, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. And so he's working and facing the wedges and, and not replacing them. And that brings us to the big idea of today's talk. This week, see the wedge, don't be the wedge. You go to work, be aware of what is going on around you. Um, see the wedges. And make sure you're not being one of the wedges. Whether you're driving down 69 through the construction or you're going through the Starbucks drive-thru. Don't be a wedge, right? Just see it and try to understand. You watch the news, man. Look for the wedges and just start to see. You'll start seeing that this is happening everywhere. You'll see it among other people. And it will encourage you because what you will start to do is you'll start to pray more because now you're beginning to think spiritually and you're starting to walk by faith and not by sight. See the wedge in the lunchroom. See the wedge when you're hanging out at the little league in the ballparks. See the wedge at work. See the wedge everywhere you go. Don't be the wedge. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.